Again, we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14 to 27. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law and am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that I have preached to others. I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. May God bless the reading of his word. Last week we looked at this passage and one of the things we were focusing in on is what is your responsibility connected to supporting those who preach the gospel. Now take a close look at verse 14, which is the first verse from our passage today. Paul says this, In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. In other words, when you consider this whole idea of what is our responsibility to support gospel workers, to support pastors and those who labor amongst us. It is the responsibility of those who receive the gospel to support those who preach the gospel so that they can get their living from the gospel. And what's behind this is is that, is that God commands and God expects that those who are devoted to preaching the gospel would give their life to it so that they wouldn't be distracted by doing business and other things like that. Because if you put your focus there on making money, it's hard then sometimes to keep your focus on uh, preaching the gospel and sharing Christ with everyone. So Paul reminds the Corinthians that this was their responsibility. And in so doing, he's reminding all of us and he's reminding all of you that this is your responsibility. 
to support those who preach the gospel among you. But then we see something happen in verse 15. Now, a lot of people will look at what happens in verse 15 and they will say what many people say to me. They'll say, well, verse 15 looks like a contradiction. Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? What does Paul say in verse 15? He says, even though I had this right in the gospel to be supported by the Corinthians because he brought them the gospel, he says this, but I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this now in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. What happened was, is that Paul had a right to receive missionary and ministerial support from the Corinthians, but he didn't take it. And so the question is, why didn't he take it? And the other question is, is how does this relate to your life and your responsibility? And the reason why Paul didn't accept the money, the ministerial support from them, is because he didn't want to put himself in a position to be obligated to them. And in his particular situation, it was more advantageous for him to preach the gospel to them without charge. Indeed, to support his own person and his ministry companions by working at a job, rather than preach to them and say there was a price tag attached. So the point is, is there will be times where for the sake of the gospel, those who preach the gospel actually will use their vocation to support them. And in so doing, it keeps the gospel from being discredited in that situation. Or there are other situations today, even where there are some countries where you can't go in simply as a missionary. You have to go in with your vocation. You have to go in as a professional person in order to put yourself in a position to be able to preach the gospel. So in those situations, it's appropriate for people to give up their rights in order to bring the gospel to others. So there's one overarching question as I consider this amazing passage that has so many principles in it. There's one overarching question that I want to press upon all of your minds today. And the question is this. How far are you willing to go in order to preach the gospel and share Christ with someone else? Because all of you are not necessarily called to be full-time Christian workers. All of you are not necessarily called to be evangelists. But in your own personal and particular life and situation, how far are you willing to go? Because on the one hand, we look at this passage and we say, well, maybe this passage doesn't have anything to do with me because God's called me to be a doctor. God's called me to be an engineer. God's called me um, to, to do something else. And so you think this passage has nothing to do with you. However, if you go on in 1 Corinthians 10 and you see some of the past some of the principles that he works out, you'll see that he comes back to one of the principles that he ends chapter 9 with that causes us to think that what he's saying is not only for him and for all those of us who preach the gospel for full time, it's for you as well. Now listen to this, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 11, 1. Paul says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's writing to all the Christians, and he's saying everything that you do, do to the glory of God, to not cause an offense for someone else to stumble, and 
for the purpose that they might be saved. In other words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he writes that to every single person in the Corinthian church. So, brothers and sisters, although you may not be called to be a full-time evangelist or missionary or pastor, nevertheless, it is your calling to do everything in your life for the glory of God to not cause an offense to someone else and for the purpose that other people might be saved. And so we see in this passage the length to which Paul goes in doing that. So go back to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 9 and let's look um, a little bit more in the passage. My main point is, is that God wants you to give up your rights in order to preach the gospel without charge. And we see that all the way from uh, verse 14 up through verse 18. So let me go on a little bit. In verse 16, Paul says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who read this passage and they come up with the wrong conclusion. They come up with a conclusion that says, okay, Paul gave up his rights. Well, he gave up his rights to be supported by them, but he still supported himself. There's people who read this passage and they think that what this is all about is those of you who God has called into full-time ministry, your responsibility is to, what they say in Chinese, shirku, to eat bitterness, to be poor, to not live in a house like other people, to not drive a car, to be at the very lowest echelon of society in order to show people that this is what it means to be a Christian. And I've seen this throughout all of my 25 years of working in the church in China. They have this idea that if you're really called to be a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist, then you have to suffer. You have to suffer big time. And what goes with it is, is that your family must suffer as well. Well, earlier in the passage... When Paul's talking about the rights that the other apostles had, even to bring along a believing wife um, on their missionary journeys and such, in saying that he, as a single person, gave up his right of support, he didn't mean that he would give up his responsibility or that the other apostles gave up their responsibilities to support their families if God called them into ministry. Here's my point. If God calls you into ministry, he either calls you into a situation where the church supports you or he calls you into a situation where you need to support your family by doing a job. He does not call, call you, if he calls you into full-time service, to be in a position where your family is not supported. That's absolutely ridiculous. Paul says in 1 Timothy that if a man does not provide for his own household and support them, he's worse than an unbeliever. And so there's a misconception that people have when they think that Paul gave up his rights, so that means that he was stupid and he didn't support himself well enough, or if he would have had a family, that he wouldn't have supported his family. That is not at all what the Scripture is saying. Paul was single. That allowed him to give up his rights, but it also gave him the freedom to be able to be what we call a tent maker, a Christian professional, in order to bring the gospel to others. Look at verse 19. 
In verse 19, Paul brings to us another principle. And that second principle I want to focus in on today is, is that God wants you to become a slave to all in order to win the more. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. When Paul gave up his right of support, he did so in order that he might be a slave to everyone where they are coming from, focusing in on their needs, that he might do anything possible and use all means necessary in order that he might bring the gospel to other people. Are you willing to do that? To do anything necessary? To go as far as you have to go? It's challenging. It's hard. I've tried to do it imperfectly so in my life and it's led me into all kinds um, of very, very difficult situations. But do you see how Paul, in giving us principles, is not giving us legalistic examples? He's not saying that the only way to do it is this way. He's saying, no, there's a bigger principle. The principle of being willing to serve others. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in his kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. And as you consider this principle of servanthood in your own life, and in a sense serving other people, then God can use that principle to work it on your heart to show you where should you go? What job should you have? What ministry should you take up? How should you use your vocation as an opportunity to bring the gospel to others. What's happened in our church over the last five years is we've emphasized this and challenged people to see how their vocation could be used to extend God's kingdom and as an opportunity to bring the gospel to others. We've had people who have wrestled with that question, just like Chris was sharing that he and Emily have wrestled with this question. And it's led people from our congregation to leave here. And some have gone out as full-time missionaries. And we're supporting them. Some of them have gone out, though, as Christian professionals, like Jen and Brian, most recently, and like Chris and Emily, will will go out and, and maybe one and a half or two years um, in the future. God is challenging them to go out as missionaries as well. But there are those who have taken their vocation and they've used what they can do as an opportunity to be in a position to serve other people in any way possible. So God wants you to become a slave to all for the purpose of winning other people. Now notice how he, he talks about doing this. This is, this is very interesting. And um, I love what he says. And my next principle is, is, he's basically saying, as he goes into all this stuff about to the Jew he became as a Jew, to one not having the law, he became as one who didn't have the law, but yet still had the law of Christ. What he's saying is this. Verses 20 through 23, he's summarizing the fact that in order to be a slave to all, that involves the fact that you have to culturally adapt, yet not compromise the law of Christ. When you're amongst Jews, you do as the Jews do. When you're amongst Gentiles, you do as the Gentiles do. But yet in those areas where it's not something cultural, where the gospel is at stake, where there's a moral principle that comes from the word of God, where there's a principle that came or a command that came from the words of Jesus Christ himself, you don't compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. So culturally adapt, but don't compromise the, the law of Christ. Now this is extremely hard to do. And I want to share with you, you know, how 
this principle has, these principles have been at work in my life as I've wrestled with being a missionary overseas. Abby and I have lived in Taiwan and served as missionaries. We've also lived in China for a short period of time, but I've gone into China more than 200 times in and out um, on my short-term ministry trips. So I've had an opportunity to wrestle with what does, what does this principle mean? How do I become all things to all people to preach the gospel? How do I become, as a Chinese person, to Chinese people? How do I become um, a, a Taiwanese person to those who are in Taiwan? And let me point out to you, brothers and sisters, although that... There is a shared Chinese ethnicity between those who came from Taiwan, those who come from China. It's not the same place. Um, there's a little bit of nuance in the language. This morning we were having Sunday school class uh, upstairs and I said to someone, Zhao An, and someone else said, well, you should say Zhao Shanghao. And I said, well, if you come from China, you say Zhao Shanghao. But if you come from Taiwan, you say Zhao An. And the person from Taiwan who had walked into the room, uh, she said, yes, you're right. In Taiwan, we say Zhao An. And then, the, and then the other person from mainland China said, no, you, you, instead you say, ni chun la meo, ni chun zao san meo. And so we had this discussion about what do you say based upon where you go. Well, even the greeting that you give culturally adapts based upon where you go and where God has sent you. And I've done all kinds of things and I've adapted in all kinds of ways in order to not discredit the gospel so that people would accept me and think that I'm one of them. Remember when Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary uh, to China, went to China? He wore his hair differently from all the other missionaries. The other, all the other missionaries did the European thing. They either cut their hair short or they wore the wigs. And there's really hysterical pictures of 19th century Western missionaries to China who lived in Shanghai. If you want to take a look at it sometime, just do a search on the web. It's really hysterical. Some of them wore wigs. Hudson Taylor said, I ain't going to do that. In those days, they wore this long queue that was braided. They were like, pulled their hair back like that. And so that's what he did. And when he went in to Shanghai to, to be amongst all the other missionaries on certain occasions, they laughed at him. They said, this is ridiculous. They criticized him. They couldn't believe that he did that. He did that in order that the gospel would not be discredited. And that was a very important part of his cultural adaptation. Um, I have done all kinds of things. I've eaten all kinds of things. I've eaten everything from the toenails of a chicken to parts of a bull, but I won't say what parts they were, but they were pickled. And I tell you that when somebody asked me to eat it, I wish that they hadn't asked me to eat it. But I've had to do all kinds of things in order to be able to not offend the people that I was around. Because if I didn't eat the food that they put in front of me, they feel like I didn't accept them. I have slept in situations that you cannot imagine. To bring the gospel to people in northern China one time around Chinese New Year, we were two hours away from Beijing, right near the place where they found Peking Man, for those of you who are into archaeology and things like that, anthropology. So I'm in this really interesting historical place with other evangelists doing five days of training, and I wasn't sleeping in a hotel. I was sleeping in a room. It's 20 degrees below freezing. I had no window in, in my room. I had a plastic sheet uh, over my window. I shared my room with a dancing rat um, all night. So when I, when I slept at night, the rat did a dance on top of my stomach. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? I got hypothermia because 
it was so cold while I was there. Um, when I went to go to the bathroom, my pee froze before it hit the ground. It was that that cold, and it was a hole, people. It wasn't a, it wasn't a toilet um, facility. These are things that I've done in order to have the privilege of bringing the gospel to people in their own cultural situation. In Taiwan, one of the things that's so important in Taiwan, especially if one of your relatives gets sick, is you have to show hospitality to people because when a relative gets sick and they go into the hospital, it's the responsibility of the relative of the relative of somebody who's sick to take care of them if they're sick in the hospital. So what happens is, is if you go into a Taiwanese hospital, and Lord knows I spent way too much time in a Taiwanese hospital during my first um, six years as a missionary, but one night I was in there and I was about to go in for kidney stone treatment the next morning, but they make you come in the night before, but I wasn't really sick yet because they were going to take care of me the next day. But I had to come in early, so I'm in my hospital room, and thanks be to God, my wonderful doctor, my friend, Dr. Huang, he got me a single room. So I not only had a hospital bed, I had a big couch so that my relative um, on the next day, when I'm like under anesthesia, could come in and take care of me. So I was so thankful to have a single room, but I noticed that there was a young man in his 20s walking around after 10 o'clock at night, after 11 o'clock at night, walking all the way around um, on the floor on the hospital, and I realized exactly what was going on. He was there for a relative, but he didn't have any place to sleep that night. Uh, so many relatives, they sleep in a bed um, that's put alongside the hospital bed or in a couch or in a chair or something. But this was a man who had come with his father because they were there for his grandfather. There was only room for one additional person to sleep next to his ailing grandfather in the bed. So this young man was walking. He was just going to stay up all night. So we got talking and as I saw him, because I was walking around too, I was bored, as I saw him walking around um, and I was walking around, we started talking and I said, who are you here for? He said, my grandfather. I said, where are you sleeping tonight? And he said, well, I don't really have a place to stay because my dad's staying in the bed right next to my grandpa. I said, well, why don't you share my room with me? I have this big, huge room. You know, I got my hospital bed and it's got this great couch in there. So I invited this guy who I didn't know to share my hospital bed because that's what people do in, in a Taiwanese situation. They care for the people who are caring for the sick relative. So this guy who I had never met before is spending the night in my room. The nurses are wondering what on earth is going on in, in this situation. Why is the guy doing that? Here's what happens. Five minutes into the conversation, I, we start talking about the fact that I'm a Christian and that's why I'm in Taiwan is because God brought me there. He starts talking about his life and as soon as he found out I was a Christian, he starts confessing his sins and all of the sins that he's committed. And within 20 minutes into the conversation, I led the man to Jesus Christ. Why? Because I opened up my hospital bed to a guy who didn't have a place to sleep. And brothers and sisters, these are the kinds of things that God calls us to do. To adapt in the cultural matters, but yet never to compromise the law of Christ. Now, getting back to, to the U.S., I'll, I'll explain to you. One of the things that happened when we were on missionary furlough in 1998, my best friend, he rode his motorcycle down to Florida where we were staying. And we wanted to go to Disney World because we grew up in Titusville, Florida, near Disney World. And we loved going to Disney World. So we planned to go to Disney World. And we planned to go to Disney World and found out that the day we wanted to go was gay day at Disney, where they closed the park in a sense that everybody, unless you're like gay, they don't 
tell you you can't go, but the understanding is, is if you go to Disney World on that day, then you'd better be gay or you'd better at least be gay friendly. This was back in 1998. So it was a very interesting time and we decided that we were going to go to Disney World on Gay Day anyway. So what we did is, is we dressed up with the same t-shirt so that we looked like we were um, together. And then we went to Disney on Gay Day and we decided we were going to ride the monorail all the way around and then just talk to people. He's a pastor. I'm a pastor. We didn't have a gay relationship. We were just really good friends. But we were sitting in the monorail and people would talk and, and they'd you know, say, oh, are you partners? I'm like, no, we're not partners. You know, I'm married. He's married. We sh- showed our, our wedding rings. We have kids. And the people are looking at us like, you are absolutely crazy. And they're like, well, why are you here on Gay Day? And why is your arm around him? And why are you wearing you know, the same matching t-shirts? And I said, well, because we're Christians. And they're like, well, what are, what's a Christian doing at Disney on Gay Day? And I looked at this man and I said, if Jesus Christ were to come to this earth on this day to come to America, where would he go? He would go to Disney on Gay Day to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the guy's looking at me and he looked at me and he said, dude, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. And uh, so then at that time, the monorail had stopped. We got out. We started walking down the thing. And the, guys, uh, the guy and his partner kept on talking to me and my friend Sam because he wanted to know more about the love of Christ and why God would compel us to go to Disney on Gay Day. Well, brothers and sisters, even in your own culture and country, you can adapt. You can bring the gospel to people. Let me share with you what happened when we went to Indonesia. Very interesting time of being in Indonesia. Uh, I prayed a very dangerous prayer in 2010 and God answered it. We had a man who was ministering to Muslims come to our church in Suzhou, China when I was ministering. And I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, I have a passion for the Muslims in Indonesia. Please open up a door door for me to be able to bring the gospel to Muslims. And then, within a few months, I was in Indonesia, in another country, a different language, different religion, different people group. I wasn't eating pickled bulls, something or others. I was instead um, eating spicy food in Indonesia. And I'm then wrestling with the question of how do I bring the gospel to Muslims in Indonesia. I developed a friendship with a man. He became um, my best friend. Uh, he asked me to be the best man in his wedding. I went to a wedding in the countryside because I wanted to adapt. I wanted to be a part of what was going on. I wanted to be a part of the Muslim wedding and I was so happy to be able to be asked to be there and to be a part of it. So here I am um, several hours outside of Jakarta in a place where they hadn't, they had never seen a white person. They call them bulays. They'd never seen a bule before, a real one, because no, no one had ever built, visited their village. So during the wedding rehears- uh, during the wedding reception, they had this part in the wedding reception where they threw out little coins and the coins had numbers. So they'd throw stuff out. It's like when when the bride throws out her bouquet and all the young ladies catch it because they want to be married next. Or maybe they don't and so they don't want to catch it. But in any case, um, they were throwing out the coins that had numbers. (coughs) People were catching it. And each number corresponded to whatever your prize was. So they were giving away food. They were giving away toys for kids and everything. This was a great time. Well, they go through numbers 1 through 24, no problem. They get to number 25, and I see that the person who had the coin to throw it out was looking right at me. And then people like, sort of moved like this. 220 people at the, at the wedding reception. They sort of moved away. The guy threw out the coin right to me. I caught it, and I said, number 25. 
And 220 people start hysterically laughing. And I'm like, what on earth have I gotten myself into? And number 25, and I was expecting some kind of spicy Indonesian food, but that wasn't what they gave me. I waited for two minutes, and all of a sudden there was a dancing procession, and somebody walks in, and they are holding the hand uh, of a nice-looking young lady. Actually, she was a little bit overweight. She was the village virgin who had not been married, and, I, and she was given to me as a wife at the, we- at the wedding reception. And I'm like... Oh, um, I can't take her as a wife. I had forgotten my wedding ring that day. Actually, it was being resized, so I didn't have it on. Evie was at the Jakarta Symphony, playing in the Jakarta Symphony that day. So they just assumed that I needed a wife. They gave me this lovely Muslim woman to be my wife. And I had to say, oh, I'm so sorry. And they're like, why can't you? And I said, well, I already have a wife. And they said, this is, this is Indonesia. You can have four wives. And I'm like, and they're like, you're a boule. You have money. You know, it only costs $150 a month. You can have her. And I'm like, oh no, I'm so sorry. And they're like, why can't you? You have money. You're a boule. Doesn't matter if you only have one wife. Why can't you? And I said, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, well, what does that have to do with having more than one wife? And I said, well, In my religion, Jesus says that one man, one wife, forever. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, that's one, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus says this in Matthew 19. In my mind, the gospel was at stake on this this issue. In their mind, it was a cultural issue where I needed to adapt. And unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on how, how you want to look at it, I was not able to take her as my wife. And so I had to tell them, I said, if I could have a second wife, I would definitely take her. And I'm so sorry, honey. Thank you so much. But I can't do this. Um, and the reason why I didn't do that, and the reason why we as missionaries only go so far in our cultural adaptation is because there is the law of Christ which is above all cultures and all expressions of how human beings do things that binds our consciences, guards our hearts, and guides our actions. We are under the law of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is what God is challenging you to think about today. How far are you willing to go in order to bring the gospel to someone else. Let us pray.